Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 258 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined this week once again by the former heavyweight world title challenger. It is, of course, he's fast. He's Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing, man? Good, my brother. How you feeling? Always good. Finish the sentence. When you're talking to... When I'm talking to you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Stole your shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. But yeah, once again, another podcast. And um, it's going to be short and sweet, really, with the talking part. The uh, the interview later on will be in depth. It's going to be with the former WBA super bantamweight world champion, um, Barry's very own Scott Quigg. That'll be interesting, so that'll take place at the uh, the very end of the podcast. But as ever, let's dive straight into the review part. I'm going to start here with a card that took place at the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA. Um, I've got to be honest, I, I was terrible. I was a terrible boxing fan this weekend, just gone. Um, I didn't really watch anything at all. It's been a real hectic week for me, so I'm just going to fly through these results. Um, like I said, we're going to start here... Um, in Connecticut, Erickson Lubin, he got the win in the end, 23-1, and a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Terrell Gaucher, who's now 22 and, sorry, 21-2 and with a draw. Um, like I say, both men had boxed for world titles in the past, both men had come up short. Uh, this one was for the vacant WBC Silver Super Welterweight title. Like I say, both men were kind of in similar positions, really. They both wanted to get back you know, to title um, level, I guess, to, to world title level. And a good win for Erickson Lubin. From what I'm hearing, you know, he was pretty much winning every round. And then late on in the fight, Terrell Gaucher decided to, uh, you know, up his up his game, if you like, and had a lot of success. I think he rocked Lubin quite badly late on. But he wasn't able to to really capitalize on it. And he lost in the end fair and square to Rel Gaucher. So a good win there for Lubin. Um, on the undercard, we had Tukstot Niambiar, known as King Tug. His record now 12-1, and one, obviously... Um, you know, he'd been in there with, with Gary Russell Jr. That's where the loss came from. He managed to carve out a split decision win over 12 rounds against the previously undefeated Cobia Breedy. Breedy was down in the first round and the second round, but like I say, he got up off the canvas and it ended in a split decision, which is quite crazy when you think about it. Niambiar's a great, great fighter, was a tremendous amateur, has you down in the first and second round. So, you know, presumably you lose those rounds 10-8, times two 
So you're you're already four points down going into round three, and you managed to win on on uh, on one card. It was actually Don Trella's card, and he gave it to Kobe Abridi by four points, which is mad. Huh? Let's total that up quickly, Eddie, if you can help me there, because um, my on the spot maths isn't too great. Sorry to put you on the spot, but if you're knocked down in the first and second round, you're four points down. Um, you're going into round three. How do you manage to win the fight by four points? So that that would mean he... that's, that's it's a twelve round fight, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're saying so so if he won, so say he was down four points already. If it's eight to four his way, that's just a draw, right? If I'm if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, so I mean that would be like wait if you're four points down, you're obviously four points down. I'm guessing he must. No, have... that's eight. That's, let me see. Well, I'm asking, it was a kind of move too. Let's do it this way. So let's just be real um, simple with it. He loses the first two rounds, 10-8, 10-8. Third yeah. round, he w- let's say he won the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth. That means he um, he's leveled it up. Then going into the mm-hmm. second half of the fight, he would have to win. He must have won five of the six rounds to, uh, you know, giving away one and winning five. That means he's... He's clinched it by four points, so that's how. Um, right. Yeah. That's yeah. how Don Trella yeah. saw it. So that means literally. Right. Yeah. Other than the two knockdown rounds in round one and two, Don Trella gave every single round aside from one of the remaining ten rounds to uh, to Kobe Abridi. Interesting. Um, the scores. The other the other scores um, obviously went Niambiar's way um, by two points. Glenn Feldman. And I think by one, might have been two, Steve Weisfeld. So, uh, interesting one. It sounds like it was full of drama, actually. If anyone's, um, if anyone's seen, a, seen the fight, I haven't. Let, let me know. Does, does it remind you of the um, uh, Eric Morales and Juan Manuel Marquez? No, 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 I'm sorry. The Juan Manuel Marquez, uh, Manny Pacquiao. Because <laughs> you remember when he dropped him like four times or, or something like that in the first half of the fight, and the fight ended up being a draw, but it was, the scorecards were so crazy because I think toward the end, they gave most of the rounds, obviously, to Marquez, but there was obviously another judge who decided to give the majority of the rounds, even after the knockdowns, to Pacquiao, but still, even within, it was more kind of even. But the knockdowns were the difference, and then one I think was a draw. So it was um, it, that sounds honestly a lot like that that particular fight in um, in the past. So that's how I would look at it. I mean, I'm, I'm, as far as the action was was going, I would figure it was pre- pretty much back and forth and hard to judge. Sounds like it. And also on the undercard, Philly's very own Jerome Ennis. Um, I think is it Jerome or Jeron? Eddie. Jerome. 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 Right. Apologies. I, I've been saying Jerome for about four years. <laughs> Jerome. I've even I've even um I've seen the guy in the flesh, which not a lot of Brits can say. So uh Jerome Ennis. Twenty six and oh now. Um you know, they say Eddie, sometimes they say, um when you know, when you turn pro, you learn what do they say? Twenty to learn and twenty to earn, right? So I gotta say you you like that one, Eddie? I like that one. Yeah, I've got to say, Ennis now, you know, he's ticking all the boxes. He's looking very, very, very good. No one is, you know, a disbeliever. Everyone believes he can be a megastar. But 26-0 and 0 now, 
begging mm-hmm. for a step up in my eyes. I just need to see the step up. I mean, he's he's boxed this guy, Juan Carlos Abreu. Abreu had never been stopped. He'd been in there with some good fighters, some big punchers, never been stopped. Ennis stopped him here in six rounds of a scheduled 10-round fight. He was down in the, in, in, the, in the fifth round and twice in the sixth and final round. Um, I just want to see Ennis stepped up, though, really, because... You know, he's a welterweight, there's, you know, you know yourself, there's tons and tons and tons and tons of names at welterweight, there's no real reason why we're not seeing him in with someone who uh, has a semi-good name, there's so many guys, um, doesn't have to be a world beater, doesn't have to be a world champion or a former world champion, it can just be someone near the top 15 or 20 or 25, there's, there's, like I say, it's, it's littered with big names. Um, even like an Ivan Redcat should be a brilliant kind of guy mm-hmm. to use, in my opinion. But um, yeah, I want to see him stepped up. But a lot of people tipping him to be the future of the welterweight division. Him and Virgil Ortiz Jr. Obviously, Ortiz Jr., you know, he's been stepping up recently with some good wins. I want to see Ennis do the same. Moving out now to the bubble in the MGM Grand Las Vegas, Nevada. Um Effia Jagba, I actually did watch this one. Effia Jagba managed to clinch the win, a a uh, you know a, a unanimous decision over ten rounds. Very wide in the end against Jonathan Rice, who's now thirteen and six with a draw. Um, Effia Jagba, like I say, fourteen and zero. Um, a little bit frustrating to watch it at times. It seemed like he had that kind of willingness to coast at times. You you kind of had that feeling that if he was to up the pace and put his foot on the gas a bit more he could have forced a stoppage something like that but he seemed to be quite happy to just let the fight play out and for that reason it wasn't the most you know entertaining or in- exciting fight anything like that it it actually dragged on which doesn't get said too much in uh, in heavyweight boxing at least um so yeah a win nonetheless but i want to see him um up the excitement levels a little bit um, the top of that card was Jose Pedraza um, winning a fight against Javier Molina. Pedraza now 28-3, and Molina um, 22-3. and It ended in a unanimous decision over 10 rounds there for Pedraza, quite wide in the end. Um, also on the undercard, I forgot to mention almost, Rabisi Ramirez, the two-time Olympic gold medalist, he... Um, he picked up a win. He's now 5-1, and one, a unanimous decision over eight rounds against Felix Caraballo, who's now 13-3 and three with two draws. Um, he, he pitched a shutout there, Ramirez. Seems like we've spoke about him lots and lots of times. For some reason, Eddie, we're always doing a show together when he fights. It's quite weird. Um, anyway... That is it for that one. The final card to mention took place in Ukraine at the Bartolomeo Best River Resort. Let's start with the undercard. Um, Ali Eren Demerizian. Demerizian. I I was saying it wrong last time. I'm going to try and get it right here. Demerizian, I think it said. Anyway, he took on heavyweight, tough man, slash journeyman, really, but... You know, tough guy nonetheless. Camille Sokolowski and Demerizan managed to win the fight. 
um, a unanimous decision over six rounds there. Quite expected, I guess. And the top of the bill, Andre Rodenko. He was back to winning ways. He's now 33 and 5. Um, a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds against Konstantin Dovbyshenko, who now has a negative record, 7 and 8 with a draw. Um, unanimous decision over 10 rounds, like I say. Very wide in the end for Rodenko. A guy who I still think has. Um, a few fights left in him, big fights left in him. I'd like to see him over here, perhaps, with a couple of our prospects on the up. Um, still quite a semi-big name, I guess. But I said it on last week's show, and I'm saying it again this week for no apparent reason. But anyway, that brings the review part to a close. Uh, I don't think I've ever done this before, but I'm just going to roll straight into the preview part here. Um, we're not going to be discussing the big... Uh, Klitschko Chambers fight on this week's podcast. It's just going to be a regular review, preview, news and guest show. Eddie, of course, is with me nonetheless and uh, we'll we'll definitely be speaking about the Klitschko fight um, at a later date, whether it be next week or the following week. It certainly will be uh, in the month of October. That's what I can promise. Um, so yeah, that, that to look forward to in the next couple of weeks. Going straight now into the preview part of the show. I'm going to start here in France. And uh, just before I get into it, the news I'm going to do at the very, very end when I'm signing out uh, with the outro as I do uh, every week. So I'm going to save the news to the very end of the show. Let's start here, like I said, with the preview part in Paris at the... La Defense Arena. Um, it's gone under the radar massively. It takes place tomorrow night. Um, tomorrow night, Friday, September 25th. Tony Yoka, the gold medalist Olympian from uh, from the 2016 Olympics, controversially beat our very own Joe Joyce in the finals. 7-0 and as a professional. He takes on Johan Duapas. That's a brilliant fight. I really, really like that one over 12 rounds there. Duapas, of course, 38-5. and um, If he's in the right mood, he, he could cause Yoko some, some problems, I believe. Moving out now to Mexico at Las Torres de Tijuana. Um, Going to go easy on the pronunciation. Not not trying to make you jealous again, Eddie. I know you want to punch me when I <laughs> when I bring out the. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm no, it just makes me want to step up my game. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, over here we get to see Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. return to the ring. Um, I I thought he was retired to be honest, but he's he's back in a ten rounder, fifty one and four with a draw. Um, I don't think I've seen him fight since he had that fight against Daniel Jacobs, in which he was doing really well, and then he just seemingly quit in the corner. It was very bizarre. Anyway, he's back against Mario Cazares, who's actually undefeated, eleven and zero. Never heard of the guy. Best of luck to him. Ten rounds in Mexico. Moving out now to Germany. This one is on the zone. It's on Sky Sports, of course, um, at a sensible hour for the UK fans. It's going to be quite early on the Saturday um, for, for for the US um, people that want to watch it. Um, it is, of course, the finals, the cruiserweight finals of the World Boxing Super Series. The undercard isn't fantastic, but who cares? It's all about the main event. The Cuban, Uniel Dultacos, the KO Doctor, 24 and 1 he takes on Maris Bradis 26 and 1 that one's for the IBF World Cruiserweight title of course Dortikos has that loss to uh, Murat Gassiev and Maris Bradis has his loss in a brilliant fight against Alexander Usyk so 
Um, you know, both men have lost to guys that were world champions at cruiserweight and moved up to heavyweight. So really and truly, the winner of this fight, in most people's eyes, is the king of the division. There's a lot on the line. I really like Daltikos. That's that's um that's a great fight. He could knock Bradis out, but Bradis is so good. He's also a policeman in his spare time in Latvia. Um, brilliant, brilliant fight. Moving out now to um that one's taking place in Germany, but moving out to a part. In Latvia, um, a part of Latvia, I should say, Riga, at the Studio 69. I wonder what goes down there. Um, Big baby Miller in the house. We we don't know. Could be, could be. Who knows, who knows. Um, Over here, though, Rikards Bolotniks. 16-5 16-5 and five with a draw. Obviously, you know, he, he scored a brilliant, brilliant knockout win against Stephen Ward in this golden contract tournament. This is the semi-finals. He takes on our very own Josea Burton, 25-1 and one over 10 rounds. Josea Burton, um, I feel, has bundles of talent. It's been quite frustrating watching the last few years of his career because I really, really believe in him. I think he's really good. Obviously, he's got that one loss to Frank Buglioni in a fight he was winning until he gets stopped, you know, in the last 30 seconds of the of, of, of the last round, you know. So, since then, he's been treading water. He's he's just been in meaningless fights. He's disappeared. He's been inactive. He, he was, um, I think he was out in the States for um, Fury Wilder, one and you know he bumped into his arch nemesis his rival at light heavyweight um anthony yard at the time and you know yard was still undefeated he hadn't boxed, boxed kovalev yet there was back and forth there we never got to see the fight it just it just seems a real shame it's almost like he's been a wasted talent i really hope he can win this fight win it well progress to the finals win that and um you know, hopefully there's something, uh, you know, something good to come in his career because I think he's got a lot of ability, Jose Burton. Moving out now to York Hall, Bethnal Green, London. This one, um, this one is a a world title fight main event. Um, Josh Taylor puts his WBA and IBF world super lightweight titles on the line. 16 and 0. He takes on his mandatory, who's also 16 and 0, Apinun Kongsong. Um, it's over 12 rounds. We don't know too much about Kongsong. Really and truly, Josh Taylor should look to make a statement and get his man out of there. On the undercard, former WBC flyweight world champion Charlie Edwards, 15 and 1. He's in a 10 rounder against Kyle Williams, who's 11 and two um obviously charlie edwards has moved up in weight for this fight i think he might have even moved up two weight classes if i'm not mistaken but it is his debut fight with frank warren so all the best to him friend of the show he's on the intro every week um also on the undercard we've got david oliver joyce 12 and one he fights for the wbo european super bantamweight title against iron up baluta who's 13 and two that's really it for that one. Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino, once again in Connecticut. Connecticut um, bringing us boxing two times in a seven-day period. But this card here is not to be missed. Um, obviously, in the States, it's going to be on pay-per-view, on Showtime. And here in the UK, you can watch it on Fight TV, which is an application, an app. I don't know why I'm saying application like I'm about 85 years of age, but an app that you can download <laughs> on your smartphones, on your tablets, whatever it is. And um, the reason I'm giving them quite a good plug here is because 
you can use my code, which is as follows, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just pull it up here. And um, you can buy the pay-per-view. Um, it's I don't know how they do it, really. There's some kind of credit scheme within the app or whatever. And um, if you use my code, which is ZEOW7N for, uh, for Nigeria and P for Portugal... So that is like uh, Z-E-O-W-7-N-P. If you use that code, I believe you get $10 off of the pay-per-view price, something like that. And um, I get some sort of credit as well for, for, for sharing it. So uh, if if you need me to send you the code properly, just hit me up on Twitter, of course, at Podcast, And uh, you can save me money, I can save you money, and we can both watch a good night of boxing. Let's start, though, with the undercard. Um, we get to see friend of the show, one of my favorite young fighters in the world, Brandon Figueroa, 20-0 with a draw. He puts his WBA World Super Bantamweight title on the line against Damian Vasquez, who's 15-1 with a draw. When do we ever see a fight that a Figueroa brother is involved in that isn't full of um, fighting? It's that They just like to fight. Mexican style down to a T. That always excites me, so I'm looking forward to that. Also on the undercard, we get to see John Real Casimero, 29 and 4, defend his WBO World Bantamweight title against um, Duke Micah, 24 and 0. I think he's a South African fighter. Um, definitely, definitely from Africa. Good fighter as well. I'm hearing good things. It's his time to shine on a big undercard. We also get to see Lewis Neary, 30 and 0. This one's for the vacant WBO. BC World Super Bantamweight title. He takes on Aaron Alameda, who's 25 and 0. Um, we also get to see Daniel Roman, another friend of the show, former unified um, world champion, 27 and 3 with a draw. He's in a 12 rounder against Juan Carlos Payano, who's 21 and 3. That is going to be exciting. I'm really looking forward to that. He was supposed to be taking on Emmanuel Rodriguez. We did an interview about the fight. Then a couple of days after the fight fell out of bed and the interview was pretty much pointless. But, you know, I put it out there in the end and it's always great to speak to Daniel Roman. And he's a he's a he's another great guy and a great fighter. He always brings, um, you know, brings his A game and it's always exciting seeing him fight as well. So that's just the undercard. Let's get on to the two main events. It's like, you know, a main event, a co-main event. They'll be arguing all night long, you know, which one's the real main event. Let's start, though, with Jamel Charlo, 33-1. and He takes on Jason Rosario. Eddie, we know him really well. Um, we were both watching that fight. I don't think we were together. I think I was watching it in the hotel. You were watching it at home. And, you know, we yeah. couldn't believe what we saw when Rosario <laughs> came to Philadelphia, um, upset the apple cart, Stole the title away from J-Rock Julian Williams in his homecoming um, world title defense. And um, ever since then, Rosario, you know, his his name and everything has just shot up now. And here he is in a big, big pay-per-view card against Jamel Charlo. It's going to be a brilliant fight at 154. 100%. I couldn't agree more. That is a very, very appetizing fight. It's, it's guaranteed that somebody's going to be out of there. But sometimes in those kind of fights, it ends, going, it ends up going to decision because I guess the guys are a little tougher than you you expect them to be. But the reality of this is, man, I really like this kid. He's, what is he calling Banana. Um, he surprised me a lot with Julian. I feel like, of course, Julian had the speed and skill edge 
to uh to a degree but but this kid when he puts his hands on you it's something different like i mean julian we've seen julian get stopped before um, by a charlo but the way he he was on you know the, you could just see his legs and the reaction to the punches man this guy really can punch and he's like a seek and destroy kind of guy like he's once he gets that that you know that homing device on you it could be a, it could be over and it's good to see a fight like this where He's fighting another powerful guy like that, like a Charlo like that. You know what I mean? They're a little more explosive than he is speed and, and speed and in skill wise wise a little bit, but um he just he has that extra gear with the power. So I'm not sure. I just wanna see what I wanna see what happens with the fight. He throws really long, powerful shots, Paulus. <laughs> but but um it it's it's a really dangerous fight for Charlo, you know what I mean? And so I commend him for taking it. And he's definitely gonna be challenged here. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to it. And I just want to apologize just briefly because I said on the undercard, Duke Micah, um, I said he's from Africa, but I really thought he was from South Africa. I completely got it wrong. Schoolboy era. He's from Ghana. He's known as the baby faced Terminator. So, um, yeah, all the best to Duke Micah. And of course, we can't mention one Charlo without the other. Um, Jamal Charlo defending his WBC world middleweight title over 12 rounds, of course, and his, his undefeated record as well, 30-0. and 0. He takes on Sergei Derevianchenko, 13-2. Derevianchenko, I've said it millions of times, one of the best fighters in the middleweight division, obviously has those two losses on points to, to Daniel Jacobs in a split decision. It could have gone either way, honestly. Very close fight. And then to Gennady Golovkin. Gennady did beat him unanimously, um, Derevianchenko was down in the first round in that fight, and funny enough, he was down in the first round against Daniel Jacobs. But even in that Gennady Golovkin fight, a lot of people had Derevianchenko winning, even though it was unanimous. Mm-hmm. A lot of people had him winning. It even seems like more people had him winning that than uh, than they had him winning. Uh, the the Daniel Jacobs fight in which that one was actually a split decision. But anyway, tough tough guy. Um, yeah, I just think this is a seriously dangerous fight for Jamal Charlo, and I almost applaud him for taking yeah. it. Um, yeah, talk to me about this one, Eddie. Another brilliant fight. It's it's just worth the money. I'd rarely ever say that. I look at a pay-per-view, and this time I'm saying, take my money, baby. Take it. Yeah, please. Yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, I'm a, I'm a fighter. You know what I mean? And, and trust me, I mean, I'm used to it. I, I never knew you was a fighter. I never knew you was a fighter. You know what? Isn't it, isn't it crazy, Joey? Honestly, you've you never know. mentioned it in all these podcasts I, we've done. I did? Dang. What is wrong with me? Sorry <laughs> for saying that. Sorry for not saying that. <laughs> but the reality of it is, and certain fights, you know, you, you hear about and you get excited. You like, like for example, the Lomachenko and... Um, Tiafimo. And in Tiafimo Lopez fight, that's an exciting fight. That's something I'm excited for because of the skill level that is going to be in that fight and all. But when you look at a fight like this, like it's a, this is guarantee action and high skill level and danger. It's every at every turn. It's like you know, power, you know, Jamal Char- Charlo is a really powerful puncher, good skill fighter, tough. You know what I mean? Same thing with Derevianchenko. Like he's he's all and and he's aggressive. And he comes forward and he throws punches and bunches. It's just, it's a, it's a can't miss fight. And it, when you say it's dangerous for him, I mean it's absolutely dangerous because we saw him get hit by Golovkin and get out the try to and 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 basically win the fight. Most people think. So imagine, he better be carrying some real, real heavy hammers in them gloves if he's going to hit this guy and keep him down. So 
is going to be – this is the kind of thing I'm looking forward to. I really want to see it. And like I said, I've seen a lot of things. I've been in the ring a long time. I've been involved in these types of things. So I'm really, really excited to see what happened. Um, I really applaud both of the brothers for taking this fight. You know, these fights, these are these are extremely dangerous fights, but you're a world champion. You're going to take, you're supposed to take on all comers. You ain't supposed to hide from anybody. So, uh, like I said, once again, I applaud them for doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I, I can't say it any better myself. Really, really looking forward to that as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you've just brought up there the fact that obviously Derevianchenko was down against Golovkin. He got back up. If Golovkin can't keep you down, if Danny Jacobs can't keep you down, in my in my eyes, they're both bigger punchers than Jamal Charlo. That's just my opinion. Just let's call it. Let's let's say it's more proven punchers. You know what I mean? They've, and and been in 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 those heavier weights for a bit longer, and obviously been around a bit longer. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think if Jamal were to actually stop. Derevianchenko legitimately that is just a huge statement but I can't see it based on the fact that you know Danny and um, Gennady couldn't keep him down but that's just that's just what I think anyway I hope it's a great fight and uh, the final fight to mention of the preview part of the show just before we we, we wrap this up and bring in our sole guest um, it takes place next Wednesday September 30th of course by the time we record the show next week the fight would have already taken place said that a million times before this one takes place at the production park studios in south kirkby yorkshire it's going to be on espn plus and um i'm guessing ifl tv um what do we have over here we have stephen ward on the undercard 12 and 1 he takes on a guy called joan valau who's 5 and 5 we get to see liam conroy 18 and 5 with a draw in a 10 rounder against serge michel who is 10 and 1 um liam conroy this is the light heavyweight the other light heavyweight semi-final the winner of this fight takes on the winner of um Bolotniks and jose burton and also we get to see ryan walsh 26 and 2 with two draws in a 10 rounder against Jazza Dickens who's 29 and 3. Um someone I'm not quite sure what tournament that is but it is the golden contract tournament. I'm not quite sure what stage it is in the tournament. I don't think it's the finals yet. I think it's the semis if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong. Um they're doing a lot of you know a lot of things at the minute MTK with these golden contract tournaments etc and many many fight nights they've brought us on a Wednesday I'm just a little bit confused at the minute with that um there's a lot to keep track of but another fight I think it's topping the bill it should top the bill anyway O'Hara Davies 21 and 2 in a 10 rounder against Tyrone McKenna 21 and 1 with a draw um in many people's eyes Tyrone McKenna's very fortunate to even be in this fight here a lot of people felt he lost his his last fight to Mohamed Mamoun, the Frenchman, um, it was it was it was a robbery. Let's be completely honest. Even the the uh, the referee didn't want to pick up the hand of McKenna when when the result was announced. It was quite a bad um, a bad you know um, decision all round from the judges. They gave the fight to McKenna which, of course, set up the McKenna-O'Hara-Davies final, and there's so much bad blood there, you have to kind of think that that subtly played a point, uh, played a part, I should say, in in, in those scorecards that we saw. 
Um, but yeah, it's going to be a good fight anyway. McKenna O'Hara Davies, um, you know, very, very interesting fight. Like I say, very spicy build up. Both men um, had some sort of scuffle on the street in the past um, during an in- <laughs> during an interview once. So uh, we get to see it in the ring. I think O'Hara Davies is way too much for Tyrone McKenna. That's my opinion anyway. But we shall see how the fight plays out. Like I say, lots and lots to look forward to this weekend and the early part of next week. Wednesday I'm talking about here in Yorkshire. Um, That brings the preview part of the show to a close, though. We've done the review part. We went straight into the preview part. The news I'm going to do at the very end when I'm signing out with the show. The final thing to do just before we welcome our sole guest is just to say thank you, Eddie for joining me once again um next time we do next time we do a show together i'm assuming we're going to be doing the the you know the big klitschko talk and the rest of that so um just just um yeah sign out i want to say thanks once again for having you on and um the listeners are in for a treat with the next the next lockdown knockdown that i know you're eager to deliver to their ears yeah man i know i appreciate you having me on being able to tell my story along with help you out with the podcasts you know, it's kind of, you know, it's keeping me alive in this whole thing and keeping me, you know, excited about the sport. And I'm pretty sure it's doing that for a lot of others too. So this is a good, uh, it's a good opportunity to get these things out there, let people listen and really hear it from a fighter's perspective uh, of what happens in their career from, you know, dealing with the tough fights, also dealing with the tough fights outside the ring when you're talking about uh, earning. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a pleasure for me to do it. And, I just hope this can reach the right guys and let them know what they need to do and hopefully they can avoid dealing with some of the hardships that a lot of other fighters have to deal with. Absolutely. Okay, there you have it. That brings all the talk in to a close. The final thing now to do is to welcome our sole guest on this week's podcast for a very in-depth interview, the former WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion, now happily retired, Mr. Scott Quigg. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion. It is, of course, Mr. Scott Quigg. Scott, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much. No problem, my friend. No problem. It's a pleasure to have you, Scott. So I want to start here. Um, Obviously, you know, when you took up boxing as a young kid, am I right in saying that you had 12 amateur fights? Yeah, I only had 12 amateur fights. Um, But before that, I started... Thai boxing at the age of 10 and I had 67 Thai boxing fights um, so I was I was used to being in the ring I had 60 65 wins one loss one draw wow. so I, I'd been in uh, you know in a ring doing competitive sports you know before I went into boxing but like I say I only had 12 amateur fights. Um, so a short amateur career when it comes to boxing. Um, but then, because I went into the, uh, I went to junior ABA after seven fights, then boxed for England. And then, like I said, 12 amateur fights I had in the end, but turned turn professional. Yeah, and it is unbelievable to, to think that you had that that real brief amateur career and you went on to achieve what you did. Um, let's, let's start with that. You mentioned you, you turned professional, um, April 21st, 2007 at the Jarvis hotel in Manchester. You, you boxed a guy by the name of Gary Shill. Um, do you recall much about your debut, Scott? I mean, we were told that, uh, you, um, obviously we, we, I think I've been training under, I 
obviously I was with Brian Hughes first, my first professional trainer. Um, so I've been training with a pros for quite a long time, and it was, you know, the, the build-up, and it was with the limited amateur experience that I'd had, you know, the, the actual, um, the process of the journey really was, you know, what Brian had set out was to learn on the job sort of thing, you know, gain experience and get the right fights and make sure you just improve them. And obviously, I mean, the, the first fight um, at the Piccadilly Jacks Hotel, uh, I remember that. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was probably a, a memorable, it was a memorable match. That was the, the, the start of the journey that, you know, and, you know, resulted in me becoming a world champion eventually. Um, but yeah, I remember the night, he was, uh, I think it was a points win against David Shizu. Um, but like I say, that just gave me the, the taste for it and the buzz to, you know, just keep going because obviously, you know, being in there with uh, no way guard on and, and everything like that, it was you know, something that I, I remember, you know, strongly. You know, again, you jumped straight in um, in a six-rounder there in, 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 in your debut. And as you say, you sort of were learning, you know, on the job. Um, if we jump forward now to October 22nd, 2011, at this point you're 22-0, and you've got 15 KOs, you challenge for the British title against the then-champion Jason Booth. Uh, the fight ends with Booth retiring on his stool after seven completed rounds. What do you remember about that night there in Bolton? I remember that night. Um, obviously, that was a, a big that was a, a a big moment in in my career as well because that was my first fight with Joe Gallagher as well. So I changed trainers from that. So obviously, I was with Brian, and then I was, um, when Brian retired, I had another fight um, still at Colliest um, with Pat Barrett, um, and then from then I moved on to um, I went and talked with Joe Gallagher then. And our first fight together was for the British title against Jason Booth. And that was, I think, I think that was definitely um, a pivotal moment in my career because that really did. Uh, obviously, people had, the way they'd been performing and the way they'd been beating people, and it was, it was obviously I was supposed to beat most of them. As you, when you're coming through, you're you're expected to beat the people that are put in front of you. But it was the way I was beating these people and stopping them or stopping fighters that they don't normally get stopped. So I was starting to build a bit of a name from that. Um, but then, like I say, the, when I beat Jason Breaver and, and stopped him, you know, that I think that um, opened a lot more people's eyes as in this, this kid could be the real deal. Yeah, and again, it, it, it always takes a fight like this to get people believing. But just from your point of view, you know, at this point, you, you, you I guess, really had no idea that you'd go on to become a world champion and, and, and be in many big fights. Just describe to me kind of the feeling that came over you when, you know, you became, uh, the, you know, the champion of Britain. What what was that feeling like? How did it mean to you at that stage? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was like the... Even though I always believed in myself, obviously you've got to believe in yourself. You know, obviously, uh, the the goal was always, you know, to become a world champion, you know, like every boxer when they first start. But obviously, you know, becoming the British champion is something that I always had on my radar, and I always believed I was good enough to, to achieve uh, good things in boxing. And so, as you're coming through, and it was when I when I I, I knew uh, Jason Booth. 
had fought at the highest level. He was a this was this was a real test as in he's mixed at world level, he's been British champion before, he's you know, he's well established as in experienced, he's well respected and if I wanted to go on and progress and was as good as I believed or I was and could eventually be, I needed to beat you know, people like Jason Bevan and this was a, a real um, really the first real test really were it was a legitimate um, no no this will give us a, a gauge to see how far I could go and when I passed with flying colours if I do say so myself um, that really did give me belief and really set me on my way really you know so with, with the momentum I got from that fight so then the way I kept going. Yeah, absolutely. And after that, you defend the British uh, title once against Jamie Arthur. You stop him in eight before having those two back-to-back fights against Rendell Monroe for the interim WBA world title. Now, the first one, of course, ended prematurely a technical draw in the third round yeah. after a clash of heads in which you were you were losing on the cards. The second one, you became the first man to stop Munro when you got rid of him in six on that Hatton-Senchenko undercard yep. when uh, when Ricky attempted that comeback. Just tell us about those both fights there yep. against Rendell Scott. Well, the, the in both uh, both of them training camps, uh, probably up until that date, was they couldn't they was absolutely went perfect. So the first fight, which unfortunately ended in. Um, due to a clash of beds and it was a nasty cut what, what had opened but what happened in the second fight was going to happen in the first fight so I felt so comfortable in the um, I could see everything that he was going to do um, and, and there was no doubt in my mind that I was going to do the same job on him in that first fight that I ended up doing in um, the second fight and I, I'll get you get people, and uh, we've I've had people say um, that 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 wouldn't have been the case. Rendell was this, this uh, which literally, you know, I, I could see everything, and, and I felt so comfortable in the first fight, and and that's why I was so uh, I, I was absolutely um, gutted the way that that fight ended in the first one. John, he, as I said, I was behind on the cards because. He, he was coming out, but I was having a look. I could see everything he was doing. I was comfortable. And, and honestly, he probably might have gone a couple of rounds longer, but I 100% believe I would have stopped him and got the win even in the first fight. But, obviously, with what happened, I take the, I took the positives from it because I got another camp. I improved as a fighter. And not only that, I got paid twice to do the same job. <laughs> So in 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 the end, you know, it, it was it worked out best for me. You know, I was I'm a child as a fighter. Um, I went out to America in between those fights um, for a bit of a training camp. Then we brought some sparring over from America to help prepare for the rematch. And like I say it, it couldn't have been it couldn't have worked out any better. 
Yeah, and a brilliant win once again. And obviously, after that, you return, you get a win against the Brazilian William Prado. Um, you you became the first man to stop him as well. By the way, after that, that's when you, I believe, get yeah. upgraded to the full WBA world champion. Um, describe for me that moment, Scott. Yeah, well, it was more the obviously because then after, uh, but um, after the second overall fight, obviously on that big card of the. It was obviously Ricky Atten was hoping it was going to be come back and you know, go on to things. Unfortunately, he got beat. But it, that fight gave me the second fight with Monroe, gave me the platform so on that big show. Um, and then after that, I ended up signing with um, Eddie Earn Matchroom. And then there was I, the first fight with him. Was against Prado, like I said, which I, I stopped him. I think that was the third round, was it? Third, yeah, yeah. I think he was in the third round. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, I was upgraded to um, full world champion. And then, that was, it was obviously, I would have liked to have won it in the ring. Um, but to be, you know, become world champion and, and to have, Every, what you'd set out to be um, and you set out to achieve. So when, when you finally, you know, really accomplish it, you know, it was something that, you know, I was very proud of. But then, as I know how hungry I was to become a world champion, then when you become a world champion, you've got, it's like you've got a target on your back because obviously everybody wants to, you know, if you're a boxing, you first put the gloves on, you know, everybody wants to become a world champion. So, when when I was world, you know, when I become world champion, you know, there's a target on your back, and you've got to keep working harder and improving, you know, because you know everyone. I know how hungry I was when I you know, was aiming and you know progressing to trying to get in the position to become world champion. So you got to understand that you've got to keep working hard. It's, when you get to the top, it's not about resting on you know what you've achieved. You've got to keep. So working even harder to stay there, and obviously that's what I did, and it was um, a, a, a proud moment to become world champion. And let's talk about your first defence. You made your first defence on October 5th, 2013 against Joandris Salinas. Uh, Salinas was a well-schooled yep. Cuban fighter, an extensive amateur career, obviously you know, the mainstream kind of, not the mainstream, the casual kind of fans over yeah. here didn't really know much about him going in. Um, Joshua, of course, made his pro yeah. debut that night as well, O2 Arena, London. Fight ends in a in a majority draw after 12. What do you recall of that night there, Scott? I, I recall it was a, a good night. It was a, obviously, he was a very, very well-schooled fighter. You know, um, when he, he was a, Decorated amateur, he he had all the 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 shots in the book for the first four rounds, first four or five rounds. Whatever shot he threw, he landed. So, like I said, for the first four rounds, I whatever he wanted to do, he was in total control. So I was gonna, I, I remember thinking after the third round, this is going to be a long night, um, but I'll find a way. Um, and I, I mean, like I said, I remember he was throwing shots at me. He was from a jab. I was right. I'll slip this one. Boom! Landed. He threw a right hand. Landed. And whatever he threw, he seemed to I couldn't get out of the way of. And but I obviously I just thought 
sooner or later he'll start to slow. And after about, after I think he was round five, but I, and I caught him with a shot, and I thought, right, now he's starting to uh, rest in between now, and he's starting to look ahead. I started to, you know, put the pressure on him and just make him work. And just, it worked him to run his way. And when I watched the fight back now, I definitely believe I won that fight. So I know he, he ended up being a draw. Um, but it was, it was Ricky Burns that just, um, I'm not sure, it just thought Ray Beltran and Ray Beltran should have got that. And he was up raw. Um, and I think the judges was under the, the the scrutiny of like you go to England, you're not gonna get a decision. So I think to be honest, I think that played a part. Any close round, he would have given to win. But don't, he don't think it was a close fight anyway. Um, but I like I said, I 100% believe I won that fight. Um, but like I obviously I kept the title obviously with the draw, um, and then I went on a quite a bit of a successful run then after that. Yeah, you certainly did. And it starts with three defences in a row, all at the MEN Arena, the first against Diego Silva on the Frotch Groves one undercard. After that, you box Shawifa Munyai, and then after that, you box Stefan Jamoy. On all three occasions, you became the quickest man to stop your opponent in all three of those fights. Uh, you took them all out within three rounds. Um, just tell me a couple words on those three good wins, impressive wins, Scott. Yeah, I mean, obviously the, the silver fight um, was what it was. He was um, he was a, a, a solid fighter, but he, he was no um, world beater. That was just a, that was basically a routine defense kind of career. I'm not going to try and kid myself and build him for the was, you know, a, a, a real dangerous tough opponent because he, he he wasn't um, the Munyai, um Defense uh, were uh, obliterated. Him. John of his people punished at the time, and around a couple of the gyms in Manchester that was working with Munyai um, was picking him to cause an upset. Um, and obviously, we we'd all seen um, Munyai on these shows before come over here and, and called him the Brit Basher because obviously every time we come over here, he was. Um, Knocking him out, uh, and Munya he was a he was a solid operator, and a, and a dangerous um, dangerous opponent, and it was and it was a late switch as well, and I'd been training for a totally different style because I was supposed to be boxing Paulus Abundi, um, and then it was two two and a half weeks before he got switched. Uh, but Munyai, obviously, he was in training for another fight, and obviously he jumped at the chance. Um, so it was it, it was dangerous in that way as well, with a totally different style switch. And then obviously, knowing the quality that he already possessed anyway, um, but then to go in there and obliterate him in two rounds, you know, and that um, shot a lot of people up, and you know, it. it it was the way it was the way I did it as well. But like I said, it was a few people that was uh, in Manchester, when the gyms in Manchester was picking him to beat me. Um, and like I said, I went out there and totally destroyed him. Yeah, that was a class win. And, um, you know, 
you mentioned, he, he, he was known as the Brit Basher, obviously knocked out Lee Haskins, knocked out Martin Power. Um, did you want to have a word on the uh, the, the defence after that? We mentioned it, it was one of the three, um, Stefan Jamoy. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, again, he was, uh, again, I'm not going to try and build him up as a, um, a, a real uh, world beater because he, he, he wasn't, um, but he was a good, solid operator again. Um, he's been over um, and over. He was um, a solid um, operator, and again, I went in there and did something that uh, nobody else had done to him before. You know, stopped him, quickest to stop him, and um, it was it was a good, uh, solid win that. Yeah, for sure. After that, obviously, you take on the the very tough Japanese Hidenori Ataki on the Bellevue Cleverly 2 undercard in Liverpool. Then it brings me on to my personal favourite win of your career, that second round demolition job over former world champion Kiko Martinez. Obviously, Carl Frampton at that point was the only man to have beaten him. He'd done it twice. Carl stopped him in nine in the, in the first fight. Um, he beat him on points the second time round, and you absolutely destroyed him in two. You know, he wasn't shot or anything at that point. He was still in good form. Um, you know, he even went on after that to have that razor-tight fight against Josh yep. Warrington. You know, um, he boxed the likes of Leo Santa Cruz, Gary Russell Jr., but no one ever got him out as quick as you did. Tell us about that unbelievable win back in July 2015, Scott. Yeah, I'd probably say that Spencer is probably going to be uh, the best win of my career. I'm probably one of the best nights, to be honest with you. Um, Obviously, with what it led to as well, and and obviously the build-up at that time, obviously, uh, coming at that time, you mean... um, Carl Frampton was on the collision course, and this was, you know, he. I'm sure he fought the same night as well um, over in Texas. Um, so there was a, a lot riding on it. The, the stakes was high. Um, Martinez was a, a, a very, very dangerous fighter, and the, the training camp leading up to that fight was absolutely perfect. The way we, what we worked on, the way we were setting things up, and like, and 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 I say this, but the fight, you know, well, obviously I stopped him into it. That wasn't a fluke. That shot, you know, that we picked out. I've got every sparring session that I did in that camp. I've got all the training um, that I did, videoed everything. What we worked on was, is exactly what we executed in the fight. You know, the first round, you know. You got some people um, were saying, you know, I caught him and I got lucky. Um, and whether it would have been in the second round, the sixth round, the eighth round, or whatever, the shot, what I landed was the shot that we was working on, the, the way we was moving. Everything that we'd done, that was exactly, he just literally opened the gaps and opened the door for us to land them. And do as soon as we did, as soon as I did. So in the first round, we knew he was going to come out, and I wanted to test his power, see if he was as heavy-handed as what you know, what he was known to be for. And and I think I remember after the first round, and he said, and if you watch the fight, he filmed the corner. One uh, when, when I'm in the corner, you see Joe, you Joe uh, saying, "Look for the uppercut. It's there." And then and obviously come back to the 
second round, he come out with a bit more intent, and I was moving exactly what we'd been doing in training, exactly what we'd been doing to set him up, and he just basically, you know, took the bait, and then as soon as I landed the uppercut, it landed and his legs dipped. Then I just thought, at that level, and with that dangerous of an opponent who can hit like he hit, when you've when you've got them going and you've got you can see the finish and you've got the chance to take them out, you've got to take that chance because if not, if you don't take it, it can come back to haunt you. And as soon as I um, seen his legs dip, I seen him, he was hurt. I just thought, right, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink. Um, next door's kitchen sink time as well. Mm-hmm. So I weren't letting him off and when I went for the kill, um, that's what I did. And obviously, thankfully, I you know, took him out. Yeah, and like I say, it was just such a brilliant win. I remember at the time watching it on TV and just being blown away by how impressive it was. And you're right, later on that night, everyone switched over to, to tune in for Carl Frampton uh, fighting in Texas. You're right, the same night. And obviously, it wasn't overly impressive from him. He was down twice, I think, in the first round or whatever against yep. Alejandro Gonzalez, who, of course, a year later was, was found shot dead in the back of a van. But that's another story. Um yep. The Martinez win was the perfect kind of fight to springboard you into that Frampton fight. You, you mentioned the collision course. Uh, you'd beaten Martinez way more impressively than, than Carl had. Um, the build-up, though, to the Frampton fight was golden. You know, it was it was a mega fight at the time. Yeah. I only ever watched it once. I didn't watch it back. I've never watched it back since. But if I recall things correctly, yeah. you started off quite slow. But in the second half of the fight, I felt you really took over. And if I remember correctly, I think I had it a draw, Scott. I think you pretty much nicked all those yeah. late rounds. That's how I saw it. Yeah. I mean, to answer, John, like early on, uh, like the, the tactics uh, we got wrong. Early on, we got the tactics wrong. Um, obviously, the, the rounds that he won and the rounds that... Um, Obviously, the way the, the first half of the fight was, nothing really happened. But because he was on the front foot, he looked, when I watch it back, he looks busier. You know, I'm not saying he looks in control, but he looks busier. He looks like he's uh, pressing the fight. Um, and obviously, so I can see why they was giving him, obviously, the rounds. And then, obviously, when he broke my jaw, um, that, that was... Um, that slowed me down around the saw. But then once I got hit on it again and there was no pain, it just was completely numb. Um, that's when I thought, right, I need to you know, I need to put the put just put the pressure on because if this gets worse, I need I need to you know, I need to do something, I need to you know, just go for go for it. I can't feel it, so I might as well just go for it and like I need to pick the because I think it was one of the lads shouted to the over to join the corner and I he said I was five one down I think something like that or six one so I was five two down I can't think one of them ring and they said and I went like I was shocked because I wasn't you know I didn't feel like I was under any pressure or I didn't feel like I'd be I was being bossed um all when I was in there so then once I find out so I was behind um, what Sky had it so then obviously I put the um, just like before, what I should have done from the start, really, um, and how I usually um, boxed, um, 
And then once I did start to put the pressure on, towards the end he was hanging up. You know, I, I had him um, rocked a bit. Um, but like, it, it was, it's nothing that um, I, you know, I look back at that night and oh, I got the, you know, the tactics wrong um, early on, but it was, you know, it was a learning thing and, you know, um, it is what it is. I don't sit here and regret anything, you know, because during training, I couldn't have trained any harder. I never cut corners and it. it was just something that, so we got it wrong on the night and so well, that's just a bit, that's just unfortunate. How do you sort of score that fight looking back on it now, Scott? When I, when I, when I've watched it back since, you know, obviously I, I look to give, if I don't think I've won it, you know, won around clearly, okay, no, that's a rain for him. Or the, so when, when I actually watch it back and me being honest about myself, I give it in by two rounds. Mm. Right, it's very you honest. You know, I'm not gonna, yeah, I'm not gonna kid myself when I when I, I sit back um, and like I could argue to give a couple of rounds to me and, and which would make it a draw, but uh, but I I'm not gonna like I'm always I always speak the truth and I don't kid myself and he's now when I, when I every time I watch it back I watch it back probably ten fifteen times. Um, and every time I watch it, I, I give it in by two rounds. Mm. Well, that is very honest. Like I say, I only watched it the once, but I remember thinking that was a draw. I'm pretty sure I did. It was very close anyway. Yeah. Um, and, and you had to battle with that broken jaw early on. Uh, you're, you're back in the ring 10 months later against Jose Cayetano. Again, you become the quickest man to stop him on that Joshua Molina undercard in Manchester. Yep. After that, you boxed twice more, which included a points win against Viriel Simeon, um, tough guy, on the, on the Joshua Klitschko undercard, and then a sixth-round knockout against Oleg uh, Yefimovic in Monaco. Am I right in saying, Scott, that this was yep. just... Bef- I think it was just before those two fights that you headed over to the States and started training under Freddie. So I had the fight with Cayetano, um, still with Joe Gallagher. Um, I got Joe, won that. And then after that fight, that's when I went over to um, link up with Freddie. Um, and the first fight with Freddie was the on the Joshua Klitschko at Wembley. Um, that was the first fight that I had with Freddie. Um, good solid win uh, against a solid operator in um, Viral Sumion. Um and then like I said we, I fought again in was it this, uh, November was it uh, in Monaco yeah. um, against Oleg Yefimich and again stopped him um, so I, I we, we said that I think that was the one that put me in line um, when I fought to fight Oscar Valdez then yeah, but just tell me, before we get on to Valdez, Scott, what was it like, you know, to, to go out there to the States and, and move, you know, move out there, move away from, from Berry, go out there and train with someone like Freddie? I know that I think you'd been over there a few times with Joe to his gym prior to that, but it was an exciting move. But at times, I have to admit it, at times it seemed like you'd kind of fallen off the face of the earth a little bit. You just disappeared, you know? Yeah, I mean, I'd been out. So the first time I went to... Uh... Freddie's team was when I was at uh, Brian Hughes's. You know, he, I used to go over. I went out over every year um, to do some training out there. I used to do six weeks out there. Um, so I built up uh, a friendship with Freddie over the years. Um, obviously, because I used to go out there to get the the spine. Because obviously, 
British fighters fight different to you know Mexicans, Americans, Jamaica, all different nationalities. So when obviously I was climbing the ladders and 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 you, I was fighting you know fighters from Mexico, Venezuela, Argentina, they had that type of American style. So. During that process, when I was coming through, and I was still at times, I used to go over to Freddy's and get the sparring um, with, with with them sort of fighters, you know, because the rhythm is different, the shot selection is different. So it was all like education. So I built up uh, a friendship over over the years with Freddy, and then I went out in January to do some training and also to just have a chat with. Uh, Freddie and CB be interested in training me. Um, so when I was out there doing a bit of training, I asked him, and uh, obviously to my delight, he he was um, he was he said yeah he'd be he'd be um, honoured to do you know train me and and it, to, to be honest with you, it was the best decision I'd made at that time because I felt like I was I'd hit a bit of a patch where I'd gone a bit stale and I needed to freshen things up again and. and keep improving and keep learning and if I didn't get that or if I didn't think I could find somewhere where I was going to get that uh, a bit of a new lease of life you know to get the buzz about it again I would have I would have packed it in back then and obviously when I went out there and, and Freddie you know said yeah he, he loved to train me and that that really did give me um, a new lease of life and, and give me that energy again and it's you know, I, I loved being out there. I used to go out there for three months. I used to do three months in, three months out. Um, and it was, like I say, it's probably one of the best decisions that I've made. And it was a real enjoyable part um, of my career where I felt like I, I, I was improving on the on the little... We all know my, at that point when I'd gone to Australia, I'd, I'd obviously worked for Brian News for years, obviously, then I've been with Joe Gallagher for years, and then I had my style was my style, and I, you know, I was when I say I, I was part, I was a complete fighter, as in like I, that's what I was. You know, my style was my style at that point, but then going to over to Freddy's, it was the small little things that, um, you know, just potentially like being positioned, just small little tweaks um, that. His knowledge, you know, that was just different ideas and different ways of doing things, you know, to the previous trainers I've been, I'd been with. So it was a, it was a, it was a change needed at the time, and you know, it was a, a, a good part of my career. That I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and that that leads us into March of 2018. You got another crack at a world title this time, boxing Oscar Valdez for the WBO strap um, at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. One of the most brutal fights I've seen in recent years. I'd go as far to say. Um, what do you recall? I can hear the little the little laugh there. What do you recall of that night? And obviously the experience, just boxing in a venue like that uh, in the states. It's it's a great venue, but the fight was was crazy. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it, 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 that's probably it, in the probably top three favourite fights that I've had, you know, that I've enjoyed. <laughs> Even obviously, I've I, I come off second best in that fight, um, and it was a, it really it was a, 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 a true war where, you know, my nose got spread across my face. It was a, it was a real brutal fight, and 
but it's one that I, is, like I say, one of the the fights that I've most enjoyed. Um, the training camp, in training, training was going well. Uh, four weeks before, I fractured my foot, so that really did hamper me. Um, the training sort of thing, you know, the, the, especially the, the movement and the mobility that I had. Um, you still put the work in, you know, I still believe that um, it was nearly a year to the day when I fought him that I'd sparred him and I'd done probably between 36 and 46 rounds with him, you know, and the spars was just complete walls. You know, we just belted 10 bells of shit out of each other, excuse my language, but we just belted the, the living daylight out of each other and it was really, really, you know, quality spine. And I just thought, if the fight's anything to go by, I'm not going to need much movement because I, I, I was, obviously, with the way my foot was, um, I was very flat-footed. Uh, I couldn't really move... Um, that quick and I'm like shuffling more than anything. But I just thought if it comes out to be a shootout, I think I've got the beating of it. Um, so obviously I ended up missing weight because I couldn't really, you know, get the intensity of the training going and, and certain things like that. Um, so I'm coming overweight. Um, but they, they actually thought I'd done it on purpose, which I haven't, you know, if anything it made me a bit more sluggish because, you know, I was a couple of pounds heavier than I would, would have liked to be. Um, and it, 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 so that hampered me. But like I said, the, the fight, I, I really enjoyed the fight. And I think the worst thing that I could have done was actually uh, break his jaw. I think it would have actually turned out to be a shootout. You know, we would have stood there and, you know, gone toe to toe. But obviously, when he uh, when I broke his jaw, he switched up the game. He kept his composure. So every credit to him because I know what it's like to, you know, fight when you've got a broken jaw. You've got to, you know, keep your composure, not panic. He completely did that. He stuck to his game plan, changed it up, and boxed the perfect right, to be honest with you, because... I couldn't close the gap quick enough, you know, to be able to unleash, unleash combinations. And it was mainly a lot of single shots I was trying to ding, and it was just that half a step in front there because of his movement. But like I said, every credit to him, it was a, a, a brutal fighting to be outdoor and you know, the, the weather as well. The weather was absolutely lashing down. So it felt like I was back in uh, Manchester. With the weather, but it was, it was, like I say, it was good. Enjoyed it. I had the traveling support that come over to support me. Um, but yeah, say that's night that I, I really did thoroughly, you know, even though I come off second best, I thoroughly enjoyed looking back and watching the fight. Yeah, and it was a real brave effort. Like I say, it was such a brutal, brutal fight. Um, you did return to winning ways seven months later in Boston, Massachusetts on the Farmer Tennyson undercard against Mario Briones. Obviously a quick night. You got him out of there in two rounds. Again, after that, though, for a while, you seemed to disappear. You were out of the ring for about 15 months. Um, what was the cause of, uh, you know, the cause of keeping you out that long? 
Um, well, I obviously I fought in um, I fought in Boston, and then I was out again. So then I, I was back in the UK. Then I went back out to camp because I was supposed to fight in April, um, and that was supposed to be against Jason Velez. Um, but then I think it was two two or three weeks before that. I had a bad injury on my arm. I ripped my bicep in half, and then the tendon that runs across your elbow that come off the bone. Oh. Um, I it was a I had to have an operation on that, and, and it was quite it was a a big operation. Um, so that put me out of that, and that was to be honest with you, that was probably one of the I really felt like I was firing, and I thought. Um, I really expected people to see a real, real, one of the best Scott Quigs that has uh, been. I felt like I was um, in a real good place mentally um, and boxing my dojo to the sparring that I had through that camp and everything. It was, um, it had been absolutely quality and I really was expecting a big performance from myself because a performance, as I was uh, told if I would have got a win there, then that would have put me in line for a, um, I will fight next. So when, when that happened, um, that was a bit of a gutter because I really was expecting a big performance from myself. And, and like I say, it was happening in sparring and I was sparring um, uh, Lewis Neary. Wow. Um, he was having some good spars. You know, it, it was really, really good quality work. And, and I, I, I remember it clearly. Then, kind of, within the fifth round, I threw a left up. And it landed perfect. It was a peach of a shot, to be honest with you. And as soon as it landed, I just felt a rip down my arm, and I just thought, "Whoa, that don't feel right." Um, and I couldn't lift my arm up, but even because obviously the tendon had come off the elbow, it just felt weird. And obviously, went to get it checked straight away, and it was just terrible news given to me that it did you know, the damage of what it what had been done. Um, but then by that's by the by then obviously I come back to the UK, I do my rehab, do everything like that. It had healed um to an extent. Um and then I went back out to um training camp again because of then I was supposed to be on the um show in Saudi Arabia so for the Joshua Ruiz rematch. Um so I was supposed to be on that card and then Getting camp and I had a reoccurring um, recurrence of the injury. Um, not as bad, but they did. You know, I did slightly turning. Uh, had a turn again, so obviously I had to stop training and then come back um, home for Christmas. And then once once that happened, then that's why I thought about. I'm just uh, going to really relocate back to the UK, and that's when I. Uh, Link back up with Joe, and then obviously train for that for the Carroll fight. Um, and because of the the amount of time out the ring, you know, from the fight from obviously when I last was in the ring in October against um, Mario Brunonis, whatever he's called, um, to then being back in the ring in March, it was too long of a time. Ideally. I should have had. I, I could have done with a a ten rounder, you know, to to get back in the um, rhythm, get back in the mix. Because you, you you can't beat um, ring time. 
so you can do all the training. But when 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 you've not been in the ring, um, I didn't actually ex- expect it to um, affect me as much as it did. Um, but and and obviously giving credit to O'Carroll, I thought he boxed the perfect fight. I thought he kept his movement up, um, very sharp, um, and boxed a good fight. Yeah, and you know we we arrive at that final straw that that loss to John O'Carroll in in on paper what was promised to be a war you did give it your all but you just didn't look your old self um, you you just couldn't really put it all together just briefly Scott just tell us you know sort of what you I don't know what you what you sum up that fight as you know it was obviously not the Scott Quigg that we've ever seen before no yeah and, and like I said I don't kid myself and I don't make any excuses. You know, he he was, but through training, you know, I wasn't the sharpest in training. Uh, I, I trained that. I was fit in the fiddle, you know, conditioning-wise. I was fit. I was um, everything like that. Um, but it, I, I wasn't firing in training. No, it wasn't the, um, it wasn't the, the me of, you know, of old. It was, you know, and, and again, that was, that was due to the, the time that I died out, you know, the, and it was more of the, it was getting back into the, the rhythm and getting back into the swing of things. But I was thinking, I could obviously, I was putting the work, you know, training hard, I was like saying, um, fitness wise, I was, um, no problem whatsoever, I was fit as a fiddle. But, condition wise, I, I didn't look as solid as I normally do, you know, obviously, maybe because obviously, Having um, the time out of the ring, my body had gone soft a bit, as in, you know, I looked a bit fleshy when I was on the scales. Um, but again, I, I I didn't put no corners in training. You know, the, the work was put in. Um, but I knew, I knew going in um, that I wasn't my sharpest. You know, like I said, in, I, I don't kid myself you know, in training, sparring. So I, I weren't my sharpest. I was I was doing okay, um, but I weren't so like I was. Uh, normally I'd be battering my sparring partners. I was I'd be you know really feeling raring to go near fight. That uh, camp I was just getting around it. You know doing okay. You know some good days, some bad days, but that was just you know it, it was. I just thought on the night I'll, I'll, you know, it'll all come together, but it, it won't to be. And you, I'm going to ask you two questions in one here. You obviously mentioned you relocated to the UK before the fight. You made that decision to get back with Joe Gallagher. Are you glad you did? Was the journey always meant to end with both of you in the same corner? And the, the kind of second question in that, obviously it wasn't um, wasn't the way you planned the fight to go. Was it difficult to, to retire immediately afterwards? Um no, because it was obviously that's the way it was. That's the way it felt straight away. I wasn't because the thing is, if that's me and that's all I can produce and that's the best I can perform now, then I'm not here to stick around to make the numbers up. You know, it's time to pack in. Thankfully, you know, I've been successful and been smart with money and stuff like that. So it's not something that I needed or need to do. You know, to still earn a living, um, so so no, it wasn't hard. 
Um, hey, would I love to still box? Yeah, I would. So I, I, I still train every day. You know, I still keep myself fit. Um, fit, I still eat well. Um, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't kid myself, and and I wouldn't. Um, I, I don't need to. I don't need to. You know, go on with boxing. You know, it's too dangerous of a sport to do. And if I can't perform at the the top level, then I, I don't want to be around to make the numbers up. But to answer the other, your other question though is, I'm glad I finished with George. You know, he was in Manchester. We joined the corner. Hey, ideally, it would have been great to to get a win uh, and bear it with a win. Um, but no, he's you know that was one thing that I'm, I'm glad that so he was with George. At that fight, and it was in Manchester, and, and Joe was in the corner. Yeah, I agree. It was uh, it was sad to see, obviously, but you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys were together, and it felt right in 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 many ways. You you retire in the end with a record of 35 and three with two draws, 40 fights in total exactly. Did you ever think you'd have that many, Scott? Um, I think I've never put a number on the Joe how many fights that I had, but I think. 45 decent, you know, you said decent right, fight. The, I think the thing is, though, these days, is I don't think, you know, because of the time I was coming through, I had, um, like, I had, like, 20 fights pretty, pretty, pretty quick, you know, because I, before, I, I was probably one of the last ones to get word, like, they used to say you have 20 to learn and then 20 to earn. So I was, Coming through, you know, whereas I we we picked the right fights at the right time, you know, we built me um, steadily, you know, to get the experience through the lack of amateur experience that I had. Whereas I think around now, you know, you you're thrown in a lot quicker, a lot earlier. You know, you got to, you know, you don't get twenty fights to learn there. You 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 get ten fights, ten twelve fights, and then you know you've got to prove your worth straight away. Um, so I think. You know, back then it was you know, the time where I come through. You know, the, I, I thought I, I'm glad I did the forty match run this year. And I, I want to ask you a couple of kind of kind of quick fire questions. Not so much quick fire, but much shorter questions and quick ones. I've yeah. got a few to, to to finish up on. Um, who was the biggest puncher you ever you ever got in there with um, Scott? Whether that be fighting or sparring, I guess. Probably. Valdez only because he ne- he never he never um, buzzed me in the fight or anything like that. But uh, I remember on one of the one of the sparring occasions, um, I walked into one and I thought, no, this falcon he, he buzzed me a bit. I thought, no, he, he this falcon whack. Uh, but that that's probably one of the one of the few times, uh, probably in my whole career in sparring or thing, I've probably been buzzed about eight times. But that that one. Like that, that sticks out. Bald as I thought. Nah, this fellow can, um, this fellow can whack. <laughs> and I want to ask your favourite win, but I guess you kind of answered that. Kiko Martinez. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Kiko Martinez. Yeah, has to be. Okay. And who do you feel was your best kind of opponent all around? Like your best all round opponent? Uh, probably. You see, I've only ever been in the ring. With one person, where I thought I can't do. So, were it was the you know, the Salinas fight. I remember 
when when he for, for the first four or five rounds, I had no control in that fight. What I mean is, whatever he wanted to do and whatever he threw, he landed. And I've, that's the only time I've ever been in the ring thinking there's actually nothing I can do other than just keep walking forward and hopefully he gasses. Mm. Um, other than that, I've never really felt where, um, don't get me wrong, I've been outboxed before and I've been, you know, where I've been, you know, trying to grind someone down and that, whether it was inspiring or fighting. But Salinas is the only person who I've actually been in the ring, whether of fighting or sparring, where I actually thought there's actually nothing I can do with I just hope he slows down. Well, fair enough. That's, uh, that's, that's honest again, like I say. Um, was there anyone you wish you'd have got the opportunity to fight, but it never, it never happened? I would have loved to get. A, I, would, I would have loved a rematch with um, Valdez. Oh gosh! You know, <laughs> it, another twelve it, rounds. That, that would. I just would have loved the rematch. Yeah, no, no. I would have just loved a rematch with Valdez. You know, a fully fit me. That's not taking no. That's not making no excuses. I would, you know, he might have still got a win, even if I was, um, you know, fully healthy, but. I, I I think different, but what I mean is I, I would have loved to have fought him a you know a hundred percent, and that would have you know really I think that would have been an absolute real um, fireworks for everyone. You know, it would have been a great fight. That, um, but yeah, it, it was anyway. I would have, and and I picked that. Or and people would probably thought, well, you. Yeah, I would have loved to get a fight, uh, a rematch with Frampton. Um, but the, the Valdez, I, I would have loved a rematch with him. And have you got any regrets about anything, the way your career went? Nope. And that's one thing that I used to look, the, the, way, um, the way I lived my life, the way I was very selfish, the way I was, you know, so dedicated. And like I said, I, I've missed... Um, big family events, major family things that have gone on. And so I really did um, live a disciplined, very selfish life because I knew when I retired, you know, I want to look in the mirror and have no regrets. And I can honestly say, and on that, that I don't regret anything, whether, you know, even the, the, the fights that I've lost or the things that have happened. So it was never... I'm not, there's no regrets there because he, anything that you know has not gone my way in my career has not been through a lack of you know effort or a lack of dedication. It was just wrong choices made, um, and like for instance the tactics or anything like that. It was out of my, um, you know, it's nothing for a lack of um, desire or anything like that. It was just mistakes and and I can't. I don't regret that because at the end of the day, that, that was the choice that I've made and I learned from it. That's why I sit here today, uh, the person I am, you know, there's all learning experiences, but there's one thing that I really, I don't regret anything. And that's the best answer. I ask that to a lot of people and I hear mixed responses, to be honest, but that's my favourite one to hear. Um, 
I want to ask you this as well, Scott. Obviously, you made your mind up to retire. It seemed like you were certain straight away. Obviously, there's been some time go by now. Um, I don't sense anything that you're U-turning on that, so that's a good thing. Are you glad to be retired now, knowing that if you were still actively boxing, you'd be affected by this pandemic and all the stress that that causes? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, don't get wrong, it's... um... It was one of them. It, I, I just managed to get that fight in before all this uh, hit. Um, so I was lucky in one sense. Uh, but like this, I listen. I, I'd love to. I'd love to fight again. But again, but again, I'm a realist. You know, I don't. I don't intend to be coming out of retirement because physically, you know, I could do. As in, what I mean is, I'm fit. I still train every day. Um, I can still do what I'm doing. Um, but these, um, these more to life than boxing now. You know, there's a lot of things that I missed out on with family um, and stuff like that. When it comes to, and any relationships that it affected in the past. So now it's about you know moving on um, to some new um, new challenges, new new things to do. Um, there'll be probably some news in the next uh, couple of weeks that obviously wipes out with and stuff like that. So I've got these, these definitely things that will um, I've got to feel, you know, give me give me a purpose still because I think that's where a lot of uh, fighters go. So it gets done because when you go from having a purpose and a routine to your day. As in, like your purpose is obviously you get up and you train and you you know you have a purpose to go about your day. When you, know, you get fighters that retire, um, or you know whether it's any sports athlete that you know you retire, then what's your purpose for that day? So if you've got no purpose, you know you you, you literally go around in circles and you you don't know um, what you know what to do. What you know. And I've been through a certain, I went through a certain patch of that, you know, period of that. But obviously, with this COVID thing, it, it made it gives you a lot of time to think and assess. And I've made, I've used that time uh, wisely, and you know, I've, I've put it into uh, with what the negative situation we've had. I've turned it into a positive, and so I've managed to find myself a, a new purpose, and you know, things are looking looking bright good for you my friend i'm looking forward to hearing all about it when when the time is right um coming down to the last two questions scott um it's it's very uh it's it's a very juicy one this one i've saved this till last and uh this is this is one i'm really <laughs> interested on hearing your answer to do you feel like you got the respect that you deserved from the british fight fans um yeah i do um i, I think i i, I do believe that with the with what I've achieved and how good I am, um, how, how good I am, um, you know, what I as as good as I uh, what I've achieved and with because I've never um, claimed to be the most naturally talented. So I've worked and I've grafted for everything, you know, that I've achieved and and everything, you know, that I've worked for. Uh, and, and I do think you know, there's been a lot more naturally talented fighters out there than me. 
that has achieved less because of the lack of dedication or a, a lack of discipline. And I like that I never proclaimed to be the the, the most uh, the best fighter, the most naturally gifted. But I've achieved what I've achieved through hard work, um, discipline, sacrifice, and, and um, whether people. Um, like me or support me or the the support a different fighter you know over me i still believe that i do have um i've earned a lot of people's respect for you know with what i've achieved in the way i've you know been dedicated to um a career and the amount of work and effort i've put in so i, I do believe um i've gained the respect of you know the british boxing public yeah, good man. That that is, I feel, what you deserve. And at some points in your career, I think you've been a little bit underappreciated. But um, I haven't seen anyone saying anything after the Valdez fight. I think a lot of people uh, had to, you know, had to give in there. Um, and just my last question, Scott. After everything, you've had this this career. We've spoke all about it here. Um, it seems like, as you say, you've turned the negative pandemic situation into a positive one. Things are on the up for yourself. Are you a happy man? Yeah, hundred percent. I sit here today now, uh, and I'm content. But I say I'm, I'm happy with what I've achieved. I've enjoyed the journey. You know, I've travelled all over the world. Um, I'm fortunate that my mum and dad um, backed me to you know, let me drop out of school. Um, never made me um, get a job. They, they supported me while I was coming through, so I could um, give me every chance, you know, to become uh, and achieve what I've done. Uh, thankfully, I went on, you know, to achieve what I've done, um, and it was, you know, like I said, I sit here today, I can look in the mirror, and I'm content with the person I've become and who I am today. And that is literally one of the most important things in the world. So I'm pleased to hear you say you're happy, Scott. Uh, just finally, before we wrap it up, if you've got any closing words just to our listeners before we let you go, obviously, I really appreciate all this time you've given us this week. Um, if you've got any closing words at all, Scott, anything at all. Uh, take it away. The floor is yours. Yeah, I just want to say, like everybody who's you know supported me over the years, whether it's been uh, you know all the people that have been you know, like really supportive, uh, followed my career, supported me, and all the people that have you know um, thrown negative stuff. You know, it's all part of the game. I you know I appreciate all the support, all the you know the journey, and like I said, I hope everyone. I enjoyed the entertainment I was um, able to give and you know I just look forward to the future and hope everybody else you know supported me um, as a successful future too classy stuff Scott listen it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you it really has and going over your entire career thank you so much for your time best of luck for the future and I hope that we can speak again at some point no thank you very much and I really appreciate your time as well thank you Okay, and this wraps up episode 258 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A massive thank you to our sole guest on this week's podcast, the former WBA Super Bantamweight World Champion, Mr. Scott Quigg. There has, of course, been some news break whilst we've been recording the show. Um, two things have happened. 
Alexander Usyk will now be fighting Derek Chisora. The date has been confirmed, October 31st. And Matram have signed a promotional contract with the undefeated six foot six Chinese heavyweight Southpaw and Olympic silver medalist Zili Zhang. Uh, that's pretty much everything, though. Um, the biggest thanks of all, of course, goes out to you, the listeners. Remember to tell a friend to tell a friend. Enjoy the tons of boxing action that we had on TV this weekend. More importantly, though, stay safe. Have a good one and we shall see you all again next week.